0: We are in the midst of a shift from old, closed systems to new, open, permissionless digital realms. We are now witnessing this transformation in money and finance, much like the internet revolution did to communications. Privacy is a fundamental right, and our lives, including our financial activities, are ours to guard. This is protected by the First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments, along with simple, rational morality and common sense. Our governments and regulators have failed at their one obligation to work within the restraints of our inalienable rights. And their attempts to regulate and control Bitcoin, which is a global, open phenomenon, is a futile endeavor. It's not just impractical, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what Bitcoin is. So my message to the regulators, if you're determined to alienate the public, to enforce unworkable laws that will make you appear incompetent, to stifle innovation, and to miss out on one of the most rapidly advancing technological frontiers of our time, then stay the course. Keep doing what you're doing. But if you genuinely want to protect the people of this country, you want to foster innovation, see real economic growth and progress return to this country, then I urge you to completely rethink the approach. The potential for a bright and prosperous future is ahead of us. It's up to you whether you want to be a part of it. It's time for a Guy's Take episode. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else, you know. And we have a guy's take today, which will be a follow-up to the Fincen piece and the short guy's take I had following that, where I just wanted to hit—I wanted to hit a few main ideas and give my argument to Fincen, which none of them are going to listen to it. But I will do a—I'll probably do a short write-up. Uh, ...relevant to this or or in relation to this episode in order to publish on the Register probably. Regardless, I will be publishing on the Federal Register and I'll have the link again in the show notes. So that if you didn't do it last time because you procrastinated, this time you will definitely do it... ...because I'm asking you again and I'm going to keep bugging you about it... ...and you'll hear about it again in January when I remind you and see if you actually went through with it. However, this isn't just about the FinCEN rule... Because there is another bill sponsored by lovely Senator Warren which attempts to essentially define everything in the Bitcoin ecosystem as a money service business including the software and the nodes which would then make it all fall under this rule kind of regardless. And it will treat essentially everybody who provides any sort of service or function in the Bitcoin space as what should be a licensed, permissioned, banking entity. So I figured I would just kind of address these two and numerous other attempts at creating these surveillance apparatus, at trying to force CBDCs, and the general vision of the world that they think is some utopia, and yet has been in practice an absolute disaster that is only getting worse. That is why I have titled this Dear Government. Real quick, I just want to thank our sponsor CoinKite and the Cold Card Hardware Wallet for making this show possible and for having an awesome suite of Bitcoin hardware devices. If you do not, if you have not checked out the Cold Card Hardware Wallet and you do not have one yet, you must. Go to bitcoinaudible.com slash coldcard and get 9% off with code BITCOINAUDIBLE. For all intents and purposes, the FinCEN rule is... In a soft way, outlawing the very concept of privacy on Bitcoin. It equates the connection to it or any activity around it, including dispersing the software, running the nodes, quote unquote, facilitating or validating, which is one of those insanely vague sort that insanely vague sort of thing that will essentially wrap Bitcoin nodes and Lightning nodes into it. Whether or not that it's their intent, that's kind of irrelevant. It will be either them or the very next person that comes in behind them who finds it convenient to do so. And the law will be written with plenty of room to make that declaration to or to make that claim. I mean, if they're able to pass the Patriot Act, which is blatantly unconstitutional, and they're able to use the Patriot Act as an excuse or as the supposed source of their authority to make this unilateral rule to force reporting requirements and change the definitions of everything that's happening with within privacy in the Bitcoin space, despite both the legal precedent and the simple fact of how our system of government is constructed, that they're not even supposed to have the authority to delegate. Congress cannot delegate powers to a bureaucracy, even though obviously that absolutely happens. They overstep their bounds at every second they possibly can. That's how our government has become a monster, a spider web of just bureaucracies, unelected bureaucrats who have no accountability, where we cannot undo the laws, we cannot vote them out next round. They have nothing they they aren't even our representatives, and they're just being quote unquote delegated to have the power to determine all of these rules. And they just kind of unilaterally say it's like, well this is kind of the rule now and you're gonna have to follow it. We'll take some public comment, pretend that we read them, and that way you'll feel like you participated. So I want to say something to these institutions. You know, the internet disrupted a lot of industries. A lot of industries and a lot of models, uh, institutional models. The incumbent way of doing things was messed up multiple times. You had the 90s with chat, email, and kind of the first iterations of the web. Then an explosion of file sharing, uh, Napster, and BitTorrent protocols, and these, these things that undermined the very mechanism by which media was contro- controlled and distributed. Because the technological landscape could not work under the old apparatus. It was built for a world that was no longer, no longer existed. It was built for a, te- a technological environment, a set of walls and limitations that do not exist in the digital space. And it fell apart. It was a huge, long, obnoxious battle, but eventually the entire industry conceded and completely changed their model. They went entirely to a, everything went to streaming. Everything went to, the user will have it on every single device like they want. They will have a single account and it will be a subscription. They'll be able to watch as many many things as they want at any time on demand. Today, if you try to gatekeep content and you are not providing that level of service, you're going to get bit torrented. Then the internet completely messed up retail. It completely changed the way we shop. And one thing that's underappreciated is it completely changed. It overhauled and revolutionized our entire shipping infrastructure. But a retail store now without a website, without an ability to access the online customer base, even a coffee shop or a food shop that doesn't have a DoorDash or an Uber, the number of companies and businesses that can survive without these avenues is increasingly tiny. Then the mobile wave came and the 2010s happened. And we're on the back end right now of a massive disruptive wave regarding the control of the political narrative, of the national narrative. Information used to be gatekept. What we saw in the censorship industrial complex, the CTIL files, is that they recognized the exact same reality that we have noticed. They said explicitly we had control when we just had the broadcasting agencies and the government had a solid hold on the ability to distribute information the ability to control what the people thought about what about the issues that they heard and when you do not have the bandwidth to access that information outside of those channels that's that's truly the case you do have the control you do essentially have the ability to control thought again straight from the ctil files Repetition is truth. If you repeat something enough times, it doesn't matter if it's a lie. People will believe it. What we saw in the 2010s was our social graph. The people themselves suddenly were put in charge of how the information traveled through society. What information traveled through society and what narratives moved through their social graph. And the old model of thinking, the kind of traditional narratives that we tell ourselves and have believed for a long time, mostly persisted just out of sheer inertia. But they started to crack. And with them went the trust in your institutions. The crimes of the people that you share rooms with, that you have conversations with, started to get exposed. I would advise you to read the room. There is nobody with a head on their shoulders that thinks that what you are doing or the proposals of these, of these rules and this new law have anything at all to do with protecting consumers or representing the people. I hear tons of complaining from politicians and people in the government of all the belief in conspiracy theories and all these, this dangerous talk and distrust of government. You are throwing gasoline on it. Over and over again, you are throwing gasoline on the fire. I implore you to have a second's worth of humility and consider the fact that maybe you should listen to them. Maybe you should be willing to sit down and have a conversation with them. Maybe you should stop demonizing them. Maybe you should stop calling them criminals for simply believing the wrong thing. Because you're going to lose the ability to have that conversation with them. This is a point in time in which you should pause and reflect why it is that you have lost so much trust. This would be the time to build bridges so that the momentum doesn't run against you. Yet instead of trying to rein in the overwhelming invasiveness, it seems like the strategy is to strain your authority and what you can get away with to the absolute breaking point to as much as you can possibly accomplish. Which is exactly what everyone thinks you're going to do, and is exactly why nobody trusts you. I want you to understand you are winning exactly zero hearts and minds by doing this. And nobody who is competent enough to even know what it is that you are trying to regulate and what these rules are applying to thinks that you are anything other than supremely ignorant or malicious because it has to be one or the other. Both of these proposals are so at odds with the fundamental, the basics of how this thing works, that it's either including essentially every single person who downloads and runs the Bitcoin software by accident because it doesn't know how Bitcoin works, or it's on purpose because they want to make every man, woman, and child into an example for having the audacity, the belief that the government shouldn't have full control over everything and that maybe when the government begins to fail us at every turn and is bankrupt financially and reputationally, that we would actually solve these problems for ourselves and build a separate infrastructure that doesn't come with the surveil and control everything clause. I urge you to think about the immense burden and literal criminalization of something so basic and mundane and so completely and wholly absent of anything even appearing as a victim, that the sheer insanity of even considering prosecuting over it, that it could be easily argued that it's a violation of the first, fourth, fifth, Eighth, ninth, or tenth amendments, or actually all of them at the same time, to really get at the heart of how ridiculous some of this structure is. I want to read a section from the Congressional Bill about this. This was posted on Twitter by Freddie New. I'll have the link to it in the show notes. But the section reads, quote, A. Money Service Business Designation. The Financial Crimes Enforcement Network shall promulgate a rule classifying custodial and unhosted wallet providers, cryptocurrency miners, validators, or other nodes who may act to validate or secure third-party transactions, independent network participants, including MEV searchers, and other validators with control over network protocols as money service businesses. End quote. This is the equivalent of saying that every single website, Every single chat room, every single text message, every single email broadcast should all be under the purview of the FCC. They should all be classified the exact same as national broadcast television and national syndicated radio. And I want to read Freddie's post attached to this. It says, quote, Dear Senator Warren, I wish I didn't have to repost this, but it's pinned for a reason. My kids and I built a Raspberry Pi as a computer science project. We run it as a Bitcoin node, for fun and educational purposes. Under your proposals, my kids are therefore classified as a money service business. This is absurd. I write as a lawyer and firmly believe that laws should be good, fair, and just, and not absurd. It's crucial that lawmakers try to understand the nature of the things that they are trying to regulate, whether financial services or Bitcoin. You cannot stop children flipping a coin at home or building a single board computer for fun. Remember, if you got enough support, you could pass a law banning gravity, but people would still fall downstairs. You know, when the city requires you to have a permit for, you know, a huge outdoor concert or massive event so that, you know, can prepare and set up, And it makes sense because it's going to be disruptive. So some sort of communication and standardized way of making that sort of thing happen makes some degree of sense. But when you then abuse that authority to start shutting down little kids' lemonade stands in neighborhoods and you steal their money and you break their stuff and you fine them and their family, nobody is going to think that you're the good guys. If you want to be deeply and completely distrusted and hated, and you want to stir the pot, and you want to throw gasoline on the fire, and you want to make sure that as many people as possible who were on the fence and gave you the benefit of the doubt are now firmly in the camp that the government is simply there to cause pain and hurt us, then go right ahead. But I also warn you of something else. It's not going to work. You know, something interesting in relating this back to BitTorrent and file sharing, something interesting I've discovered is that in 2023, 2022, like like recent years, while music has gone to an entirely new model where the idea of control and the ability to listen to music, the the incredible convenience and consumer-centered experience around the music industry as it is today, the the technology for the delivery of music, despite the fact that it has completely changed, or not even despite, probably and mostly because of, the fact that they have conceded, and they've recognized that the old models don't work, and that the controls and the restrictions they were trying to enact were never going to be sustained, because the technological landscape had changed too much, revenues are up. Music revenues are up. The industry is bigger, there is a larger variety of music, there are more artists, and revenue has been increasing. And piracy is down, specifically because they made it work for the consumer. Think about that. Music piracy is down, is way down. It has been decreasing for a long time. It has only been in very recent years that film and television piracy has increased, and it's mostly because of the proliferation of so many streaming services that if you don't have, like, six or seven, you don't get the entire catalog, that those walls are coming back up, essentially. The divisions between the content, whereas music does not have those great divisions. If you use a music platform, you generally have access to all of the music you want to listen to with a few exceptions. So what do you see? Music piracy is way down. That means that people are unwilling to get it for free because it is so easy to get what they want with their control, with the degree of access that they want to have when they want to have it. It's just easier and better in the app. And I think there's a couple of lessons there. The more walls get put up, the more controls, the more restrictions, the more they nitpick and decide how many devices you can have and which device you can listen to it at what time. Or they try to restrict what's in the catalog and whether or not you can watch this movie and maybe it's only available for this amount of time. That's exactly what causes piracy to increase. And you notice that's the, that was the entire industry's, the entire industry's strategy back in the late 1990s and the early 2000s. And it is not a coincidence that that was also the peak of peer-to-peer traffic on the internet. In the 2006-2007 era, peer-to-peer bandwidth use, the amount of traffic on the internet that was for peer-to-peer networks, was somewhere near 70% of all traffic on the internet. I can't think of a stat that more clearly shows how hopeless their fight was This was after a decade of whack-a-mole attacking 17-year-old kids, suing grandmothers because their grandsons had come and downloaded some music in their home. An absolute embarrassment of enforcement attempts across all of that time, which happened to still be going on, mind you. But just like file sharing, just like encryption, basic encryption... It's too accessible. It's too accessible. This is never going to work. This is never going to work for multiple reasons. One, because anybody with a tiny, like basically a toy computer, can still download and run a Bitcoin node. Because the Bitcoin block size, because the bandwidth required to run a part of the consensus network, to be in full consensus and have a fully validating node, is so low that it can be run entirely over Tor. My node is entirely over Tor right now. And that's not even to consider the new protocols, the, the new environments and the new, new communication systems that will enable an entirely new set of communication modes, new alternatives to get around it. It won't even be something that has to rely on Tor. You'll have Hole Punch and HyperCore. You'll have Noster. You'll have Valid. Bitcoin itself has created and led to an explosion of alternative communication protocols and systems and an entirely new way to think about and implement encryption standards. A wonderful example being hardware wallets. Like the ability, like for Coldcard and the, the Coldcard uh, Q1, their, their new device, like you're going to be able to use a password manager. And in fact, I think you actually can on Coldcard. I haven't really explored it yet, but it is a generic signing device. When you really think about it, which means that it cannot sign all sorts of data and messages and be used as a standard for encryption and security practices. That is entirely offline. This is a sort of device, and this is this is common. This is the standard for most hardware wallets. These things are security devices. That, were never, that never had a consumer-level device before. The level and degree, the meticulous attention to detail for the security model of these devices is stuff that was relegated to literally corporate CEOs for in the tens of thousands of dollars range. For hardware security model, modules that were specific to them and their environment and were designed with the same security in mind but simply had no market. It had no broader market, so the only way to actually be profitable was to be insanely expensive. We have comparable security, sometimes argued even better security, at a consumer price tag. And I guess this would probably be a really good opportunity to say that this show is brought to you by the cold card, and I urge you to get a hardware wallet, and you can get 9% off the cold card with code BITCOINAUDIBLE, And that link will be in the show notes. But this is just generally true of hardware wallets. And there is an enormous amount of innovation and iterating happening in that space. And just the ideas of security. You know, a lot of people will even look like when you're within the Bitcoin space, you'll look at it and think, oh, because there hasn't been an update or there hasn't been a new thing in the last like two to three months, something's moving slow. But I think it's really easy to lose perspective of Comparison to prior to where Bitcoin to when Bitcoin existed is to how unbelievably fast this stuff is moving. We have never had the monetary or capital incentive to progress and innovate in the security, encryption, and secure hardware device market as we have today. Never. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of the elements that are going to secure this environment and this ecosystem. Another one that these regulators and institutions and our governments seem to completely miss is how perfectly global this thing is. And I mean that in the sense that they're used to a financial system, going back to the example of the financial system Uh, was never disrupted. The monetary system was never disrupted by the internet and digital technology. All it got was a facelift. All it got was an app interfacing with the same fundamental infrastructure. Bitcoin is its disruption. Bitcoin is the protocol for money in the same way that the internet was a protocol for communication. The only reason banking, finance, and the monetary system the monetary infrastructure of the globe was not disrupted by the internet is because we just didn't have all the pieces in place yet. And just like the, the undermining of the cable news and the quote-unquote national narrative, the control of the propaganda, the control of the human psyche, the American mind, because that didn't happen until the smartphone wave, it was until the mobile, smart mobile devices became ubiquitous and we were always connected to a social media infrastructure that allowed us to communicate in a completely novel way. that allowed information to flow based on not the centralized entity which they are trying to reinstitute through the social media platforms, but not through a filtered broadcast view of which, one, which way is the story going to be told by which news agency, but instead, who in my friend group do I trust the most? Who says the most compelling thing that I'm going to share and I'm going to bridge from my social graph on the right side to my social graph on the left side? It wasn't until smartphones that all the pieces were in place For the mobile wave and the internet itself to fundamentally shift the mental framing of the American citizen and undermine the structures of, frankly, propaganda that had dominated this country for a really long time. And about eight to ten years after that took place is when things really started to unravel. And about 12 years later is when it's become clear that they are drastically and desperately trying to strangle and get a chokehold on every single avenue of information, every filter and shadow banning tool and building out the censorship industrial complex to rethinking that they are going to put that that old framework onto the new technology and it's not going to work what's going to happen is they're simply going to well it will work for a short time it will work and it will fail miserably because it will create exactly the pressure needed to turn social media into the protocol it should have been from the very beginning the conversation that we have over on Noster is a perfect example of exactly why it's not going to work but it might appear to be successful in a short period of time in the short to midterm, it might look like you're doing a great job. Just like the RIAA had a few really great successes early on, Napster got shut down. But where you cut off one head, two, three, five will grow in its place. But going back to the BitTorrent example, it is the walls, it is the controls, it is the restrictions, it's the onerous and absurd requirements. That will create the very pressure needed to funnel all of the capital, all of the activity, all of the innovation, and all the growth out of your system. Out of the traditional infrastructure. All our government, all our traditional institutions will be left with is 33 today, probably 40 trillion or more in debt that will break its currency. And whose only last remaining value proposition is by stealing it from an American populace that distrusts and hates them, seeing them as the enemy that they increasingly are. And understand, it's not going to stop Bitcoin. Like I said, Bitcoin is global. It is truly global. The open source software will continue to iterate. New tools will be continue to be made. New communication standards and new privacy standards will, be continue, will continue to be made. And they will increasingly still be available to people within the United States. You just won't have purview over it. You will have no insight into what is going on because it will go dark. You think they use it to avoid taxes now? No one will pay. You won't get a dime in taxes from it if you enact these f-ing rules. And to the contrary of actually stopping anything, it will be these actions that create an enormous amount of pressure for not making the half-assed privacy solution, not building the the most convenient, but with the you know, with a few trade-offs and you know, trying to get the business license and all of these things, like trying to appease the old system where it's possible. Because you want to work in the legitimate environment, right? No. When you enact these things, it will go as dark as it can. It will be as private as it can. It will be built without any center whatsoever, with no head to even chop off to begin with. And Bitcoin will not go down. It will go down for a short time, but it will not stay there. Because you will keep printing money. The government will continue to print money. The Fed will continue to monetize the debt. And fiat will lose value. And Bitcoin will remain. Bitcoin will stay. China banned Bitcoin. It survived. China banned Bitcoin mining. It survived. In a matter of six months, half of the entire global infrastructure of the Bitcoin network turned off Packed up, found a new location in a different country, set back up and turned back on, and we went from all-time high to a low to an all-time high, and there was not even a hiccup in the operation of the Bitcoin network. Go ahead and ban it. I honestly kind of think there's too much mining in North America anyway. We would like to remove that revenue from your purview. We would like to remove those taxes from your coffers. I mean, I've been thinking for quite some time that the biggest threat to the short term stability and censorship resistance to the Bitcoin network is the regulatory incompetence of the United States government or maliciousness. But, you know, same result. So who cares? Same, same. So the harder you come down on it, the faster and more completely it simply leaves North America and it will not come back. It will set up shop in friendly jurisdictions. There will be another 10x in the capital, the infrastructure, and the price of this ecosystem. There will be people who make exorbitant amounts of money, and they will remember that the United States government is their enemy, and they deserve to be poor and hold the fiat debt bag that they have blown up. And the U.S. government will end up being an authority over a rotten corpse of a country that once was great. So when the FinCEN rule asks or supposes what the cost of their regulation would be, they try to estimate the number of hours it will cost for some subset of companies or small entities to deal with this absurd reporting requirement. If you don't come at it with the context of recognizing that this is an open, permissionless monetary protocol, the first and most successful by far of its kind with no real competitor, The cost of these regulations are not in the number of hours it takes to report this arbitrary and completely useless activity. The cost is whether or not the Silicon Valley of the Bitcoin ecosystem grows up in the United States, or in China, or in Singapore, or in El Salvador, or in Argentina. Do you want the United States financial system to be relevant in 10 to 20 years? We are barreling at breakneck speed into an open, global environment. The more walls, the more restrictions, the more capital controls, the more onerous bullshit, burdens, and reporting requirements, and all of this nonsense that you put on all of the individual devices running a tiny, tiny piece of this entire infrastructure, the more likely it simply won't have anything to do with you. The more you will fail. The more the United States financial, government, and regulatory system will simply be relegated to irrelevancy. There is a reason that Putin is meeting with Saudi Arabia, with Iran, why these deals are being made between Iran and China, why the BRICS nations are setting up an alternative international monetary and financial standard. It is specifically because the United States is already losing strength and relevancy. They are bold enough to do it because they're not afraid anymore. And the BRICS nations are a stronger and larger economic block than NATO. They are the larger GDP. Our government has no chance If they literally kill the goose that lays the golden egg, they cut off its head, they bury it six feet under, and they require every individual to fill out a lengthy report and come up with a very good excuse as to why they walked by it every day. All this does is accelerate the decline. If we do not embrace openness and innovation, we will simply lose everything that we have built. We will lose this country. And I know I and many, many other Bitcoiners have no interest in going down with the ship. You're more likely to just watch that capital flow out of this country as fast as it possibly can. And I'm not cutting off my node. I'm not. I don't care. If your law is that stupid, it is your obligation to change the law. My node will continue to run and I don't give a flying f- what you have to say about it. And I think this will also accelerate the balkanization of the United States as well. Because there will be states that, do not, that also do not want to go down with the ship. And they will do everything they can to put walls up between them and the federal government. There have already been states that have worked very hard to protect the Bitcoin and monetary innovation, the, the technology that is springing up around this space. And they will double down and it will be a messy, obnoxious fight and there will be lots and lots of lawsuits with people who have lots and lots of capital to throw at this fight. And this route by our government, I think, will show that they are technologically incapable of enforcing this. They will look incompetent from an enforcement perspective. They will be incapable of holding the line and creating any sort of consensus around the legal standard, and there will be dissent and fracturing among the states, among the counties and communities, and among those in the federal government itself. And given that the United States of America has the highest per capita adoption and investment in Bitcoin, it will cement in the minds of a lot of new people that the United States government is the enemy of the United States people. The distrust in our political institutions will only grow. And trust is not something that is cheaply and easily bought back. Oftentimes when it is lost, it's lost for good. So I think the proper framing for understanding the cost of these absurd regulations is what is it going to cost to both fail in your reasons for the regulation, fail in stopping ransomware, fail in being able to enforce this because it's just comically unenforceable, fail in regaining any trust in the American people, and in fact only succeed in accelerating the loss of that trust, and fail in the sense of kicking out what will be the Silicon Valley of the Bitcoin ecosystem from the United States of America and relegating it to financial and monetary irrelevancy as the burden of our impossible debts gets paid for by our currency. If this is really going to be the chosen course of action, I guess all I can say is good luck. Another thing I want to add is a simple, simple statement of fact. Privacy is a right for the simple fact that we have self-ownership And that the invasion of our private property and our data without our explicit consent is simply put a crime. If a voyeur is outside your home spying on you, that's illegal. And it doesn't change when government does it. And it doesn't matter how many people in Congress you have agreeing with you. It's still morally reprehensible. You are still the criminal in the exact same way that it was perfectly legal to commit genocide against the Jews in the Holocaust. That didn't make it okay. It made the law and its enforcers sickening and evil. To the notion of FinCen asking us, Requiring us to explain what tools they should have and what alternative systems they would use in lieu of being able to have total surveillance and full reporting of everything that's going on and total illegality of all of the tools and privacy systems and open source software that are in the Bitcoin system. That if we didn't have that, what would we do? Cite your sources and give explanations. It's not our job to teach you how to do yours. We have no obligation to tell you everything that we are doing with our money, to show you all of the things that we do while we're in the bathroom, to come up with the systems that you need that would enable us to prove our innocence. It is innocent until proven guilty. The government has the obligation of respecting our rights and to do their job of protecting them and enforcing common sense and private property without violating those laws. Without becoming the criminal that we have to protect ourselves from themselves. It's not our obligation according to the Fourth Amendment. It's not our obligation according to the Fifth Amendment. And it's not our obligation because of basic common sense. The only obligation that any of us have, the only thing that we owe to each other, is to not violate their rights. Is to live our lives and do our jobs respecting the basic autonomy self-ownership and freedom of the people around us that's it and that seems to be the one thing that our government seems entirely incapable of doing that standard is how we establish what crime is in the first place it is the obligation of the police the regulators and the rest of the political apparatus to do their jobs within the confines of the basic inalienable rights laid out in the founding of this country. And the ones that weren't written vaguely, that weren't some broad-stroke confused legalese. They're not confusing, they're not thousands of pages of nonsense, they are the simple, declarative, succinct, clear rights established for the people of this country Alongside the limits and restrictions that are meant to govern the government. That are governing the enforcers and the regulators and the bureaucracies. The Constitution is a limit on them, not us. Just read it. It's extremely clear about what it lays out. The moral principles haven't changed just because we have found ourselves In a vulnerable technological environment where it is now common to have full visibility into every single thing people are doing through a digital interface, built into a phone, with a camera, and a microphone that is attached to us everywhere we go. I am inclined to believe that this is a temporary and unfortunate consequence of the transition into a digital age. But the pressure to fix those systems and protect the individual and individual communications is getting worse and worse, and I think as we move into a world with AI, anyone who doesn't have those, that basic encryption is just going to get destroyed. And the more of these centralized honeypots and centralized platforms that we all connect to continue to dominate our environment, the more vulnerable and fragile the security of this nation and its people will become. These very regulatory systems will be the greatest security vulnerabilities of everyone and all of the institutions in this country. It may even appear to work for a short span of time before the AI infiltration tools get as advanced and creative as necessary to find their way in. The larger and more people and more avenues for access into that system, the easier and more completely it will eventually be pwned The only solution to this is to decentralize, is to hyper-individualize the security, the encryption, and the communication control. We are temporarily in an everything-is-giant, everything-is-big transitional period. But it is not sustainable. It's not sustainable economically. It's not sustainable from a debt perspective. It has largely been bloated and accelerated because of a fiat-debt bubble incentivized through artificially low interest rates, interest rates at 0% for almost a decade. This is not the natural course of the economy, and all we are doing is setting up a bigger giant to fall down and crush as many of us as possible underneath its weight. But it does not scale and it is not sustainable over the long term. It will come down, crashing and burning. Anyone who takes a close look at history at the cycles of civilization and the rise and fall of global powers and empires should be able to see very clearly that we are at the end of a long-term debt cycle and we have reached a very unsustainable place. Our option is to either begin to correct this To pull back from the control, bring down the walls, let the pressure release, and let things balance themselves out in as peaceful a manner as possible. It's going to be a mess, and it's going to hurt either way, for the exact same reason that going on a drinking binge for three weeks straight, absolutely dead drunk for the entire time, is not going to be able to escape without any sort of a hangover clinging desperately to the old systems and beating your citizens and punishing them for trying to solve their problems, for trying to get out from under the thumb of this massive impossible debt that they have been burdened with, is only going to submit the irrelevancy of our political institutions. They will be the tyrants that destroyed the health and prosperity of this nation, if If, as the platitudes they espouse of protecting consumers and helping the customers find stability and safety is actually their goal, the best course of action with the way the technological environment is changing and the amount of risk that large centralized databases obviously pose and continue to pose worse as we move forward, The best way to protect them is to decentralize the keys and decentralize the data stores. Further centralizing and aggressively over-documenting what everybody is doing and all of their personal and sensitive information will simply CAUSE more ransomware, more hacks, and more criminals. While it will do extremely little to recover any stolen assets, The very institutions that espouse to try to protect consumers and keep them safe and restore their funds will be one of the worst vulnerabilities for the largest number of people in this country. That database will be a ransomware group's wet dream. To the contrary of every small, medium, and large entity being forced to report and record an obnoxious amount of data and send that data and collect that data among multiple institutions as some form of protection for those people. The requirements should be exactly the opposite. They should be forced to give their customers privacy and protection and be forced to delete that data without explicit consent from that customer so that even in the case of that institution or that company being hacked, the customers aren't at risk. Any honest risk assessment, especially from the cost of capital, would clearly distinguish that as the far bigger problem. It's attempting to fix a problem with reactionary thinking rather than preventative and robust security thinking. If I had to give an analogy of what I think this approach is trying to do, I would say it's like forcing every single business and entity, every person to build their building, their home, their safe zone out of straw and paper and thin sticks. Specifically so that enforcers can easily just destroy and get into any home and find any person. And then doubling the investment in prisons and guns for the police and thinking that you're going to solve the problem of crime, theft, rape, and property destruction by shooting enough people and putting enough people in cages. When really the solution is to allow everyone to build their homes out of concrete and bricks. And what the former mentality actually produces is a fragile, vulnerable society that is high in crime, and that is riddled with violent acts and property destruction, and also happens to have a police state where people are afraid to do anything for fear of being seen as the one who is committing the crime. Even when they are doing absolutely nothing wrong, with gross abuses of power, police who can get away with literally anything, and tons of innocent people put in cages. All for a backwards reactionary model claiming that it's keeping everyone safe. And what happens is a small fire starts in somebody's house and it rips through the entire civilization. You do that long enough and it destroys everything. History has shown us this so many times that it is almost vomit-inducing to watch us stupidly go down this road again. So, to the government agencies, to the regulators here, if you want to overplay your hand, if you want to set in stone the distrust that the people have in you, and you want to accelerate the growing divide and the group of people that increasingly think that you are the enemy of their life and their safety, if you want to outlaw something that you can never enforce and that will not work, if you want to look both incompetent and malicious to the safety and protection of the American people, if you want to be that enforcer that goes to the little girl's lemonade stand, steals their money, and crushes it because they don't have the proper permit— If you want to put an incredible cost on what would be the explosion of small and medium-sized business and service entities that would spring up in this burgeoning industry, which you would get to brag about for fostering, and who would be quietly complicit in paying their taxes and putting up with the government's crap as long as their entire lives and the desperately necessary technological improvements and innovations that we need aren't obliterated in this country... If you don't want to see the Silicon Valley of the Bitcoin industry settle and grow and explode in El Salvador, making them rich and making the United States look like a fool, if you want to lose relevancy and power to the BRICS nations, if you want to violate the basic rights of your citizens, and if you want to shut down and stifle one of the most important technologies with the most aggressive growth rate of literally anything else in the world in our current time to ensure that none of it accrues to our country that i would say you are on the right path continue as you are do not reevaluate stay the course but if you actually what you say is actually true that you want to see this country succeed that you actually want the people to prosper That you want the small business in this country to both recover and surge. That you want to be able to brag about the health of this economy. That you want to show real stats of crime falling and consumers made safer and more protected. That the United States has a bright future. That you want to spend less on beatings and cages and endless lawsuits. And that you want America to be some sort of an example for the world with a future that does not look like crap. Then I say throw away the proposals, sit down with Bitcoiners in the actual industry and ask them what they need to help protect the people in this new technological era. Otherwise, I promise you, it's not going to work like you think. So that's all I got. I hope I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't. But I don't have much faith anymore. I don't. I don't don't know whether it's just sheer incompetence or maliciousness, and it's probably just a combination. They're probably genuinely malicious people who have an unbelievable amount of influence and power because everybody else is too incompetent to realize that they're helping the malicious. But the momentum is running against them, and the technology is not going to make their systems, the consequences of their systems and the laws they are trying to act work anything like they think. So our best chance is to set up your node, run your Bitcoin node, put it behind Tor, give them the middle finger, show how stupid their rules that they are attempting, attempting to enforce truly are, and make your voices heard. Post about it on social, file a comment in the Federal Register, call your representative, send emails to your representative. It's not that hard. We have a lot of tools now that can make this a very simple process. Let's blow them all up. I will have links in the show notes to the Federal Register, and I will collect a, as much as I can for contacting representatives and things, uh, and I'll try to have it on a page on Bitcoin Audible. I just created a link. I even said I wasn't going to do this publicly, but I don't even care. Um, this will be useful for just AI tools, anybody who listens to AI Unchained. Uh, I just created a really simple, um, I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing pretty about it. It's just a text list. It's of most of my AI bookmarks. They're kind of spread around, but this is what I have in Obsidian. Uh, So it's at BitcoinAudible.com slash AI. And if you want to check it out, I'm going to try. I'm going to have the Federal Register link, and I'm going to try to collect as much as I can about how to contact representatives and how to uh, let them know what you think of this bill. I will put that at BitcoinAudible.com slash voice. I can't guarantee it in the next day or two because I know I'm busy, but I'm I'm going to force myself to get back to this and make sure that it is available for you as a resource so there's an easy place to get to. That'll be bitcoinaudible.com/voice. Again, it won't be very pretty. It will just be the links that you need and uh, I'll try to make I'll try to make a, as much of it available, well, as much of it available as possible. With that, Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Do not forget that you can support this show uh, by running a node. You can run a Bitcoin node. That would make me feel really good. But also you can share this show out with anybody that you think uh, would benefit from this message or would like to hear it. Uh, Anybody who wants to learn about Bitcoin and protect themselves from this shithole of a political system that we find ourselves in. For as long as I possibly can, I will do everything I can to explain and help inform why I think this is the most important thing that we can do right now. And another way that you can get this in front of people is to boost it on Fountain and uh, also leave a review. Both are really, really great ways to help out this show and I massively appreciate it. Thank you so much to CoinKite for supporting this show and the Cold Card Hardware Wallet. Thank you to the Audionauts for supporting this show and being fans and sticking with me through a thousand plus episodes now. And thank you to Senator Warren for being such an incompetent embarrassment that you derailed an entire episode of this show. And that will do it. Thank you, guys. I love you all. I will be back here uh, on Monday with a really great read and lots of fun stuff next week. I got a really, really awesome conversation with Lynn Alden, author of Broken Money, right around the corner, and it's going to be a really fun one. I am Guy Swan. This is Bitcoin Audible. And until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. The American public will endure until the day Congress discovers that it can bribe the public with the public's money. Alexis de Tocqueville.